Welcome to the Tanakh Podcast with Alex Israel. Today, Yehoshua Perak Yutet, Joshua Chapter 19. Today, we will engage with Eretz Israel as we follow the last six tribal portions. We start with Shimon in the south, then Zebulun, Yisachar, moving north to Asher, Naphtali, and last, B'nai Dan. And one of the pleasures of this chapter is to read through this chapter with all the amazing names, names that you know from living in Israel, from road signs, from towns that you visited, and kibbutzim. Um, It's just a pleasure, and it's an amazing thing that names have such a robust permanence and that things which were called these names 3,000 years ago are still named the same way. I guess that's point number one for today. Point number two, I don't want to miss the last two psukim of this chapter because we read when they had finished dividing up the land into the tribal territories then the tribes allotted a, a, a territorial seg- segment for Yehoshua. He gets his portion in, Timnats, with a, in a place called Timnat Serech. Why am I mentioning it? Because so often in our world, we find that leaders, uh, you know, skim the cream off the milk or, uh, you know, take their own benefits, leaving the people behind. And here we see that Joshua in typical ethical style, makes sure that the entire nation is settled and only afterwards does he begin to think about his own tribal section where he is, him and his family are going to live and that high ethical standard is typical of Yehoshua. But the main topic I'd like to talk, to talk about today is the tribe of Shimon. Shimon is the first ones we read about here in chapter 19 and interestingly enough, though they have their own identity, they settle within the tribal segment of Yehuda. That's what it says in Pasuk Aleph. And it says it again at the end of uh, that section in Pasuk Tet. Yehuda settled, sorry, Shimon settled within the segment of Yehuda. So Shimon a sort of with with Yehuda, but sort of independent, but sort of with them. When we open the first uh, verses of the, our next book, the book of Shoftim, once again we'll see Yehuda and Shimon together. Really interesting. And um, they don't seem to have had an independent tribal territory. Why not? Well, first of all, we know that they lived in, in the very southern border of Israel. Their cities are places like Be'er Sheva, we hear about a place called Siklag, which we know from the David stories. So they're on the southern border. Most people say that they, they weren't really farmers, they were shepherds. And they sort of remained half in the settled lands and half in the wilderness, almost like the Bedouin of today, still semi-nomadic. And if you look in Divrahe Amim, you will see that in a later time, in the time of Chizkiyahu, probably after the Assyrians had destroyed the uh, the Philistines, they started moving west towards the area of the Philistines to the area of 
a gudur, or maybe some academics think it's gerar, and they expand their territories in that direction. And it seems like they kept their own identity, their own ethnic identity as a separate tribe all the way through for hundreds of years later. And yet they never really took hold of particular lands and territories for hundreds of years. They remained a subsection of Yehuda. Now, the reason why this is particularly fascinating is because some of you will remember the last words of Yaakov Avinu, of the patriarch Jacob, to Shimon and Levi. If you recall, Shimon and Levi, the two brothers, um, sons of Leah, brothers of Dina, when Dina had been raped and captured by Shechem, the two brothers went in and massacred the town of Shechem and saved Dina. They took Dina out from her captivity. But Yaakov saw this act of violence as excessive. Again, there are discussions about the legitimacy of violence, and Judaism is certainly not a pacifistic religion. It could well be, if I follow the Ramban, Nachmanides, that he says they could have killed the perpetrator, they could have killed Shechem, but they didn't need to massacre the whole town. Whichever way, on his deathbed, he, he utters a, a, a terrible condemnation. Shimon and Levi, the brothers, their tools are tools of violence. And he says, I'm skipping a little, but he says, Their anger is cursed because it is fierce. And their fury is so harsh. I will scatter them in Jacob. I will, apport, I will, I will divide them in Israel. In other words, he was saying that Levi and Shimon would not, when they're together and or maybe when they're concentrated, they're too explosive, they're too volatile. They need to be watered down. And uh, there are many interpretations of this. But the question is, you know, is this the fulfillment possibly of this ancient biblical curse? The reason why this is curious is because we've spoken about Shimon but what about Levi? Levi get elevated to an incredibly high status. So what happens? And this is exactly the question that I'd like to ask. When you have a curse, can you escape a curse? Can you turn a curse into a blessing? And I would argue that maybe you can. Because look at Levi. Levi engaged in violence and Yaakov expressed his displeasure and said they should be divided up. But Levi show that they know how to use their violence for very specific moments. Uh, for example, immediately after the terrible sin of the golden calf, when Moses needs somebody to step up and establish law and order and kill the perpetrators, he asks in the camp, he says, Mil Hashem Eli, who is going to be for God and will be with me? And suddenly B'nai Levi step up and they kill the perpetrators. At that point, Moshe actually says to them, for this you will get a blessing. We might remember another situation where a Levite engages in an act of violence, and that is the case of Pinchas. The Pinchas story is going to be particularly relevant here, because in that story, which is described in Bamibra chapter 25, uh, Israel have got themselves into a mess with the women of Midian. There seems to be goings on both in the sexual realm and in the idolatrous realm, 
and the men of Israel have become attracted to the women of Midian, engaged in this uh, sexual orgies and idolatry. And this is apparently quite widespread. Moses tries to put an end to it, and nobody will listen to him, until Pinchas steps forward with his spear and murders Zimri, who is a priest, uh, is a prince of Shimon, and Cosby, a princess of Midian. And this shock act um, puts out this uh, terrible state of assimilation, idolatry, fornication in the camp. Now, it seems clear from the story that the major tribe who were doing this were, in fact, the tribe of Shimon. And how do I know that? I know that because when Shimon accounted at the beginning of the 40 years in the wilderness, they are 59,000 people. And by logical growth, they should have grown even larger like certain other tribes. But when they're counted before they go into the land, there are only 22,000 people in Shimon. And what that means to us is that the plague, which the Torah tells us about it, which followed Pinchas's vengeful act, hit one tribe more than any others, and that's the tribe of Shimon. Let's try and put all this together. Yaakov cursed Shimon and Levi for their violence. But the question is whether violence is gratuitous, or whether it's ideological, whether people know how to use violence in a moderated way. The tribe of Levi show that the violence that they engaged with in Shechem, they knew how to use in critical moments and in a moderate way. Only when Moshe called them to deal with the golden calf, they picked up their swords. Only when they, he had an explicit order from Moses, and when it was a moment of critical national importance, did Pinchas pick up his spear and engage in violence. And interestingly enough, that bracha, which Moses gave them, means that they become the priesthood. And indeed, they are scattered around the country, as we're going to see in two chapters' time. There are going to be 48 cities of the Levites, but they're scattered for good as an influence, as a positive influence in the nation. But what of Shimon? In other words, sorry, just one second. Um, so Levi take that curse and turn it into a blessing. But what of Shimon? Well, Shimon are a different story. They might have picked up arms and massacred a city when their sister was raped by a, uh, by a Canaanite, by Shechem. But they themselves, when they're given the same choice, they're the ones who go voluntarily into a state of idolatry and fornication with the people of Midian. They're showing that you know their act of violence there was maybe an act of vengeance and revenge, but they didn't hold the ideology behind it, because when it came to them, they were quite happy to consort with the women of Midian. Ultimately, the curse of Jacob becomes a curse to them. They never really keep their own land. They never have their own autonomy. They never really take on their own tribal section. As we read in the opening lines of our uh, chapter today, that they were a subsection. They didn't have their own, you know, tribal flag, so to speak. They didn't have their own municipality. They didn't have their own head of tribe. They were subsumed in somebody else's tribe. Thank you for listening. See you tomorrow.